question we've talked about before, maybe not in this class, but certainly in other settings, uh, that I think is incredibly important, that we probably need to, we probably need to bring it up every week, but we don't. Um, what story do you think you're a part of? What story do you think you're a part of? We, we might put it a different way. We, sometimes we ask people, who do you think you are? <laughs> who do you think you are? Those kinds of questions are so incredibly important, aren't they? What is your identity? How do you see yourself? What story are you a part of? I think that, that we live in a really unique time for lots of different reasons. But I, I think that it's becoming even more so that the way we see our own story and the way we see our own identity is that we see it in a very individualistic way, right? What is your Story. In fact, I think about a lot of, I, I hate to pick on Disney movies, but you know, it, you can see and tell a lot about a, a culture by looking at the stories that we tell, by looking at a culture's fairy tales, by looking at the stories that we tell to our children, what's important to us, what do we value, what messages are we sending. And so you, you look at some of the, the more modern Disney movies and the stories that we tell, and a lot of them are about follow your dreams, that you are a totally individual person and you have this whatever it is in your heart and that you need to follow that and there certainly can be value in that I'm not necessarily knocking that but I am saying that we tend to see ourselves as individuals whereas in other cultures and other parts of the world and especially at other times people have tended to see themselves as a part of a people group They've seen themselves as a part of a nation or an empire or a tribe or whatever it may be, and that together we're going somewhere. We have a future, we have a destiny, and we have a past. We have a story, we have a shared history, even that goes back further and longer than than ourselves individually or even our parents or grandparents. It goes back to our ancestors and this is our shared story and we've come from somewhere and we're going somewhere, right? And, And sometimes I think maybe we have a tendency to sort of lose that. But, but if we're gonna understand scripture, then we've gotta understand that that's one of the most important things. That if we're gonna understand that the, the way that the apostles or Jesus or whomever wants you to live your life, it's very much connected to the story that they want you to see that you are now a part of. That this story about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, this story about Israel is your story. It's your ancestor's story. It's your family story. And the destiny of Israel is your destiny. The promises that God has made to Abraham and Abraham's descendants is your destiny. It's your future because now you are a part of that story in Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think we miss that big picture, don't you? I think sometimes we miss that big picture because we tend to read the Bible and we say, yeah, but I just want some encouragement for today. You know, I'm having a bad day and so I just want a verse that'll encourage me or I have a question about this, that, or the other and I just want to find the verse that answers that, right? And and those are fine things, but when we treat the Bible sort of like that, like a encyclopedia to theological ideas rather than this huge epic story that Jesus is helping us to be a part of that has a history 
and it has a present way of living because you're a part of that story, and it has a future that you're promised because you're a part of that story. When we miss that big picture, then we miss so much of the gospel. And I think it's even harder for us to learn how do we live our lives and how do we figure out some of those questions when we don't understand that this is really what the Bible is. It is, it is, it does answer our questions and it teaches us a lot of things and it has all kinds of encouraging little tidbits and all of that is true, but it's so much more than that. And I hope that if nothing else, that's what we're gaining from Romans is that that is what Paul is telling us, that this is who we are a part of, or this is what we're a part of. So next slide is our Romans 1 through 8 summary. Real quick, in keeping with his promises, God is rescuing creation from the reign of sin and death by adopting, justifying, and giving his spirit to all those who have Faith in Jesus, that's one of the key words or key ideas. Faith in Jesus, they give their loyalty to Jesus, they give their allegiance to Jesus, they, they, they pledge themselves to Jesus with the promise that their mortal bodies, along with the whole creation, will be redeemed when his wrath is revealed against sin. And then chapters 9 and 10, I put these two summaries together to say this, God is fair and just to bestow his covenant riches... Again, that's what this book is all about. God is fair and just. God is righteous to bestow his covenant riches on all those who submit in faith to the lordship of Jesus. The way he would say it in Romans 10 is confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, right? Submit in faith to the lordship of Jesus rather than The contrast is between those who submit in faith to the lordship of Jesus rather than those who simply believe they are entitled to covenant membership based on ethnicity. And we talked a lot about the law and obedience to the law, but I think we need to really, really remember that for them, the law is about our people's traditions, right? It's our ethnic people's traditions. For the Jewish people, it's about circumcision and it's about sabbath keeping in fact i read one time uh, and i wish i could remember the source and uh, google it later but not right now okay so uh, if you're if you're curious i i, I was going to do that and i forgot but uh but I, I did read one time that somebody said that they they felt like at one period of time or another that if there was a, a perfect sabbath that all of the Jews kept the Sabbath perfectly on that Sabbath, then that would usher the, the Messiah to come back and the age to come would come because all the people kept the Sabbath right on that one. So they had to make sure everybody was. And so when Paul talks about the works of the law, it's not just about being good, like don't lie and don't steal and don't be bad. It's about our Jewish ethnicity it's about our ancestral traditions it's about eating the right foods and celebrating the right days and being in Jerusalem and doing what we're supposed to do and all of these mosaic traditions that have been handed down to us and they believe because we've kept these things because we've kept the sabbath because we've eaten the right foods because we've kept the holy days because we've kept ourselves apart from the gentiles because we've kept up our end of the bargain, our covenant relationship with God, because we did what we were supposed to, these covenant riches belong to us. And the way Paul would say it is that they were trying to establish their own righteousness, right? 
establish their own faithfulness rather than, do you remember how he said it last week? Submitting to the righteousness of God. Submitting to God's faithfulness. That it's God's justice. And and God is just and right and fair to bestow his covenant riches on all those who submit in faith to Jesus as Lord. Okay, Romans chapter 11. So let's go to the the next chapter. And and this question keeps coming up and Paul sort of addresses it in different ways. And chapter 11, it may be one of the most confusing difficult chapters in the whole book. But again, what's so important is that, and that's why the summaries that we do each week are so incredibly important, because you have to let the argument that Paul is making build on itself. If you just pull any chapter or verse out of context, it, it, you'll, you'll come away with a totally different understanding than Paul intends for you to. So Romans chapter 11 and verse 1, I asked then, has God rejected his people? A lot of what he would be saying and what, it, what he is saying might sound that way to people, right? Has God rejected Israel? Has God rejected the Jewish people? Because they're not, as a people group, as a whole, they're, they're not embracing Jesus as Lord. So is God saying, like, I'm done with all of you Jews, and if you're a Jew, I don't want to have you in my family anymore? Is God rejecting his people? And, of course, the answer is, by no means, Why? Because I'm an Israelite, he would say. Paul is an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, I want you to kind of pay attention. And I I listened to a whole lecture this morning on the differences between Israel, using the the term Israel or Israelite, and Jew uh, or Jewish or Judean. Do you see when those words started to kind of come up, even in our Old Testament Bibles, in the Hebrew Scriptures, you know, at one time they would call the group Hebrews, right? And, and then Israelites, right? And, and then Israel became two different kingdoms, right? The northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah, right? Which was named after the tribe of Judah, right? And that's where the word Jew came from, right? Because the northern tribes were all decimated and they were scattered and taken away by the Assyrians. And all that was left was Judah, right? And so they called them Judeans, and later we start to say something like Jews, right? And so that's where that word comes from, and it's specifically tied to that southern kingdom of Judah. But when when they talked about Israel, that was a bigger idea. So you can kind of use those interchangeably, an Israelite and a Jew, but, but I think even Paul has a little bit of difference in how he uses those terms. When, when they would talk about Israelite, it's this bigger picture of God's people that are all of the tribes of God's people, the big family of Abraham, rather than something that's really centered on Judea or on Jerusalem or the, the descendants of, of those tribes in that, in that part of the world. So he says, has God rejected his people? Is he saying, I'm done with Israel? I'm done with Israelites? By no means. I'm an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know that what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Elijah thought, I'm I'm the only one, right? All, All the rest of your people, all the rest of the Israelites... They're all a bunch of wicked, horrible, no good people. All of them. I'm the only one that's still faithful to you. Look at verse 3. This is what Elijah said. Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. And then Paul asked, but what is God's reply to him? 
I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Right? You're, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 Israelites, even in the time of Elijah, that haven't bowed their knee to the idols. So too, at the present time, and here's a key phrase, there is a remnant chosen by the remnant of Israel. He obviously means a, a, a group, a portion of those who are ethnically Israelites, right? That are ethnically, physically, fleshly descended from Abraham, right? And so he says there, there's a remnant of people and, and what's his proof of that? Himself, right? He's, he's one of them. And there were lots and lots of Jewish Christians. And so this idea that, that the church is really a Gentile group is wrong. And that's not what Paul was trying to accomplish. Paul wasn't trying to accomplish going out into the world to say God is done with Jewish people and now he wants all the Gentile people. He's done with them because they were bad guys and they killed the Messiah and so God doesn't want them anymore. He wants the the Gentiles to be part of his family. Now, unfortunately, there have been times, even over the last 2,000 years, where this sort of anti-Semitic type of rhetoric has come about and they've even used New Testament scripture to persecute Jewish people and saying, well, see, they killed the Messiah so they're bad people. And Paul is arguing against that point right here, isn't he? He's saying God hasn't rejected Israelite people. He hasn't rejected Jewish people. I'm I'm an Israelite person. I'm descended from Abraham. I'm part of the tribe of Benjamin. And Paul was incredible Jewish ethnicity. He's saying God hasn't rejected us. There's still a remnant. There's just like in the days of Elijah, there were still people who were ethnically Israelites that were part of the chosen people, right? But his emphasis is But this remnant are chosen by what? By grace, right? See verse 5? They're chosen by grace. He's saying they're not a remnant just because they were really good at keeping the Sabbath. They were really good at, at, at celebrating Passover. They were really good at only eating kosher food. He's not, they weren't, and they are not the remnant because of their Torah keeping, because of their law keeping. They are the remnant because of the grace of God. But if it is by grace, then it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Now look at verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now, again, that part, if you just pull it out of context, it might be challenging, right? But if you remember, we talked about maybe last week or the week before Romans 9. So if that verse seems, you know, interesting or, you know, weird to you, you might write out in your margin Romans 9, 30 through 32. And how did the, how did those who were part of the people of God, the elect, the chosen, God's chosen people, that many of whom were ethnically Jewish or ethnically Israelite, how did they obtain it? Well, he says in Romans 9, 30 through 32, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. Israel, who pursued a law that would, would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they've stumbled over the stumbling stone. So what, on what basis are the chosen people the chosen people? Or the elect, the elect. On what basis are they part of the covenant people of God? 
their faith in Jesus, the Messiah, right? And some of those are Gentile, and some of those are Jewish. Some of those are Israelite, and some of those are Gentile. And and all of those, whether they're part of the remnant of Israel or they're part of the Gentile group, all of them are God's people by grace, not because of works of the law, but because they put their faith in God. And this is what Paul has been arguing since the very beginning, isn't it? Abraham was justified on the basis of what? Faith. He was justified. He was, he was righteous on the basis of faith. He was in a right covenant relationship with God because of his faith in God. Okay. The, elect, the rest of ethnic Israel, right? So there, there's some, I mean, Paul just kind of splits it and says, okay, there's a portion of ethnic Israel that have faith in the Messiah, and because they have faith in the Messiah, they're part of God's chosen elect people. They're still part of the, the covenant people of God on whom God is bestowing all of his covenant riches. And then there's a portion of Israel that are hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. See, Paul is laying this out to say, God's God's not surprised by any of this. This has always been the way it's been. And he, He went through and he talked about Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau. That God has a remnant of Israel and then the other portion of Israel is They've become hard and angry. They've become not just enemies of Christians, enemies of those who believe in the Messiah, but actually enemies of God, right? They've become God's enemies. And and Paul says that's actually all part of the plan. And God's, God's okay with this, with the fact that he's saving a remnant and that there are some that are angry and upset and hardened and are becoming God's enemies. Look at verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? So does the fact, and again, we struggle with this because we think very individual. They thought very collective. And if you're going to say that there were, there were all of these Israelites, all of these Jewish people that hated the Messiah, does that mean that God's like, man, I'm mad at all you Jews and I'm done with you. And, and since you did all of this, then I, you're out. All of you, just all of you, just get out. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. He's asking the same question that he asked in verse 1. Has God rejected his people? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Paul's laying it out to say, see, this is all part of God's plan. And it's okay. It's okay the fact that this remnant is, is saved and they have faith in the Messiah and this other group are mad and angry because it's given us the opportunity to take the gospel to Gentiles and allow these Gentiles to become a part of this story and to become a part of God's covenant people. Their trespass has led to salvation for the Gentiles so as, and here's here's the goal, so as to make Israel jealous. You see, when they they hear all of these things and when they come to understand that you're taking their seat at the table, that you're becoming a part of the family story that they were supposed to be a part of. And when they come to believe that, hopefully some of them will say, I, I want that. And so, so God's okay with the fact that this Gentiles being 
added to the family is making them jealous because hopefully it will lead to their repentance. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion or maybe just fullness mean, right? So if if they come back, if some of them see what's happening, and if they're jealous and they're like, those are supposed to be my promises. That's supposed to be my family. That's my heritage. I want to be a part of that. Then it works out for good. Look at verse 13. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. So Paul, Paul was sent specifically to the Gentiles, but, but not to say God is done with Jews. And, I mean, he has to drive that home, doesn't he? Because, again, I've kind of foreshadowed this several times, but when we get to chapter 12, all of this is going to be, you're all part of one family. Different ethnic groups, different backgrounds, different cultures, and you have to live like family. It's fair that they're part of your family. These Gentiles are part of your family. And if you're a Gentile, don't for a second start to get proud or arrogant. Don't for a second take... Take the, the opinion that, uh, that, that somehow you deserve to be here. So he says, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and save some of them. That's Paul's hope. He wants the Gentiles to be saved, absolutely. But in the process, he also hopes that his brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and nephews, that they will come to faith in Jesus because this is their story. This is their story. These are their promises. This is their history. This is their heritage. And he hopes that by by fulfilling his mission that Jesus gave to him to go to the world, that what it might also do is prompt many Jews to respond to the gospel as well. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, God is is using their, their pruning, right, so he, I, I'm trying not to get into the tree metaphor that we're going to get into in a second, but, but that's a, the best metaphor. So if they're pruning and pruning out the unfaithful who don't believe in and submit to the lordship of Jesus has led to the salvation, pruning of Israel will also lead to the inclusion of more Jews of Israel. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? But life from the dead. That This is Paul. Isn't that what Paul said? He said, I, w- I would almost rather be cut off from Christ if it meant my fellow Jews could be saved. See, I, don't, I don't... I think sometimes we forget that nationality and ethnicity and background and heritage, they're a part of the totality of who you are. Paul didn't stop being Jewish. He didn't stop being an Israelite. He didn't expect Romans to stop being Romans, to stop being Gentiles and suddenly start becoming Jewish in their customs. You, you, you are who you are and you're from where you're from. And, and in fact, becoming a follower of Jesus means you love your people even more than you ever love them. But it also means you love the people that hate your people. And it means you love the people that that never really had anything to do with your people. And that you're part of this coming together. This epic, cosmic, 
worldwide, international family that God is putting together on the bedrock of Jesus the Messiah. And Paul loves his fellow Jews and is saying, of course God hasn't rejected them. God's not done with them. Just because someone's an Israelite or Jewish doesn't mean that they can't have a place in this family. There's a place in this family for all who would put their faith in Jesus. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Everything that's in this tree, and that's the metaphor we're getting into, is holy because the roots are. Verse 17, but if some of the branches, so again, it it helps to to picture this in your mind. He's painting a picture for us, this this olive tree, right? So so if there's this, this olive tree and some of the branches were broken off, right? Some of the people, and why were they broken off? They didn't put their faith in Jesus. They didn't give their loyalty to King Jesus. They said, I don't want to be a part of that kind of, that sort of a kingdom. And they were broken off. And you, and he's speaking specifically to the Gentiles. He said that, right? So, and you, although a wild olive shoot, you came off of a wild olive tree over there. And you're not part of God's cultivated olive tree. But you were taken from that olive tree and you were grafted in to this olive tree, to God's family. You're taken out of there and you're put into this family. You're grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. That's everything Paul is saying here, right? That, keep that in your mind because that helps you to understand what he's saying. Don't for a second, as a Gentile, who you're sitting in somebody else's seat. I used that analogy in a sermon not too long ago. I mean, imagine going to a family reunion, and, and that's not really physically your family, but yet you were invited there, and then you found out that there was somebody a part of that family, and they kicked them out. They said, we don't want you in the family anymore, and they kicked that person out because they weren't living according to the family standard or whatever, and they kicked that person out of the family, and now you're sitting in that family member's seat. I mean, that's kind of a humbling seat to sit in, isn't it? And how ridiculous would it be to be like, oh, yeah, I got your seat, and you don't have it, right? But, but that, that could easily become the attitude of some Gentile Christians to think that somehow now God is done with people that are ethnically Israelites. And Paul says, there's nothing further from the truth than that. Don't for a second think that you deserve to sit at this family table. Don't be arrogant toward those who are naturally a part of this family. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Verse 19, there's a lot more we could say about that, but we won't. Uh, Verse 19, then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And he says, that's true, but they were broken off because of their unbelief. They're being broken off and you being grafted in in their place, that had nothing to do with you. That was the grace of God. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. We should be overwhelmed with humility and gratitude to be a part of this family story. We are part of the world's most important family story. The family that God chose. God chose Abraham and said, through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. 
And some people thought that because they were physically descended from Abraham, that they were guaranteed those blessings. And Paul says that, that's not true. And then, because some of us, we, we became like Rahab. You remember Rahab? That's us. That's our story. Rahab, that's our story. You know that? I mean, here was a woman who lived in a Gentile city, and I mean, she was a prostitute. She was a Gentile. She couldn't have been further on the outside. But because she put her faith in Yahweh, because she put her faith in the God of Abraham, she was grafted into the story, <laughs> became one of the ancestors of Jesus, right? And that's you and me. And because we put our faith in God, we became part of this incredibly important story, but it should evoke in us fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. You see, you can't deserve or earn a place in the family of God. But you can sure forfeit it, can't you? By doing what? By by doing what everybody who has ever done that's been cut off has done. Walking in unbelief and disobedience, right? And if you walk in unbelief and disobedience, you too will be cut off. If God would cut off the natural branches, how much more should we say, oh man, I got to be careful that I continue to walk in faith, otherwise I will be cut off. Verse 23, And even they, now here's an incredibly important part, and even if they, if they don't continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, right? Just just because they've been cut off, just because they're Israelites doesn't mean God's done with them. Don't look down there at all those branches that have been broken off and say, ha, I got your spot. God, God can just as easily graft them back in because God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature, a wild olive tree, you know, you came from all of these other nations and groups and people, and you were cut from those and grafted into this tree, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Now, verse 25, here's where it gets a little bit uh, confusing. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Okay, same, same thing. He's already said this, right? A partial hardening. So not all Israel is hard. Not all Israel has become the enemy of God. Not all, because Paul and, and Peter and all of the apostles, I mean, these, these are Jewish people, right? These are Israelites. But there is a great number at that time, especially. That was their their greatest enemy at the time, the people that hated them the most and that were running them out of town and putting them out of the synagogues and, and, and stoning them and, you know, whatever, stirring up riots against them were the Israelite people. And Paul says a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean every single Gentile will become a part of the family of God? No, it doesn't mean. Again, he's talking about partial and fullness, and he's saying part of, part of Israel has become hard and is, is enemies of God and persecuting you. Part of them are the remnant that God is saving. And then that part, 
that remnant of Israel that's having faith in the Messiah, and then all of these Gentiles from all the nations, God is gathering all of them up. And again, remember what I said about the fact that he's using Israel language, not Jewish language, not just talking about the people in Jerusalem, but he's talking about God's people, the the, the sheep of all of these different flocks that God is, is gathering up. So there's some of them that are ethnically Israelite, there's a remnant, and then there's the fullness of the Gentiles, and people from all the nations are coming in. And he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, there's some people that take this to mean that there's going to come a time in the future when all Israelites will suddenly come to faith in Jesus. Other people sort of take it to mean that all Israelites will be saved even if they don't have faith in Jesus, simply because they're Israelite. Um, I really like what one scholar I read today um, said. This is N.T. Wright, who is one of the most leading New Testament scholars at the time, at today, and he says this, either Paul is suddenly declaring a new point, which undercuts more or less all that he's been saying to this point. If, he, if he's saying that all ethnically Israelite people will be saved, regardless of having faith in the Messiah, um, then, then he's saying something radically different than he's been saying all along, right? Uh, Because all along, he's been saying that God is saving people on the basis of faith in the Messiah. And that there's no distinction between those who are Israelite or those who are Jew or those who are Gentile. That based on faith in the Messiah, they're being added to the family of God. So he says, if if he's not suddenly saying something new, which obviously I don't think he is. He says, or we are forced to read all Israel, quote, in the same way as the Israel of God in Galatians 6.16, which again, Galatians and Romans go so well together, that is, as the full company of God's believing people, Abraham's complete family, Jews and Gentiles alike. See, I think that's what Paul is saying when he says all Israel will be saved. I think he's saying the remnant of those who are ethnically Israelites, like Paul himself, And all of those that Paul was prompting to come into the family. That's what Paul was saying. He's saying, God's not done with them. I'm still, by ministering to you Gentiles, I'm trying to get them to come into the family too. I'm trying to get them to come back to the family. I'm trying to get them grafted back into their own family story. God isn't done with them. So all Israel is made up of both the remnant and the fullness of the Gentiles. Gentiles from all the nations are a part of the all Israel that God is saving, or the way that Paul says it in Galatians 6.16, the Israel of God. And remember what Paul had said back in Romans 9. He said, this is verse 6 of Romans 9. He says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they're offspring. So Paul has a way of talking about Israel in two different ways. One, those who are ethnically Israelites, and two, the all Israel that is you. If you put your faith in Jesus as the Messiah, and you become his follower, and you die to self and to sin, Romans 6, you know, you're buried with him in baptism, and you're raised up to live in this new Messiah life and this 
spirit-infused life, this new creation life, then you are the part of the new Israel that isn't just Gentile. This new Israel isn't a Gentile group. It's Jewish and Gentile, isn't it? It's all nations. It's the remnant of Israel and it's all the nations. This is, this is what the New Testament is all about, is that God is keeping his promise to save Israel. And every, nearly every time the prophets talk about God saving the people of Israel and the people of Jacob, it talks also about the nations. It was, Jonah is such a perfect story, and I think Jonah is a great commentary on Romans. Because you remember Jonah? I mean, Jonah, I mean, he loved God's grace. Jewish people, Israelite people during the time of Paul, they loved God's grace. It's just that they wanted God's grace to be theirs exclusively, right? Paul, before he became a follower of Jesus, liked God's grace. He just wanted it to be for him and for his people group. But the story of Jonah is that God wants to shower his covenant blessings on all nations. And that that's what was going to happen during the age of the Messiah, was that Yes, the remnant of Israel was going to be gathered to God, but so were the fullness of the Gentiles. And we are the evidence of that. And that's why a Christian community should be as multi-ethnic, multi-racial as the community that it's in. Amen? Because that's what the gospel is all about. is that God is gathering up a new Israel so that in this way, all Israel will be saved. Real quickly, Romans 11, verse 26. As it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Verse 28, as regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. They're enemies of God for the sake of your salvation. But as regards election, they're they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Don't think God is done with them because God is just as interested in saving Israelites as he's ever been. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. On what basis? Their ethnicity? No, faith in Jesus. For God has consigned all to disobedience that now he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I would summarize Romans 11 this way. God has allowed a portion, sorry, God has allowed a portion of ethnic Israel to become hardened and to be his enemy so he can save a a full and complete family made up of a remnant of ethnic Israel along with Gentiles of every nation. That's the story that we're a part of. And that story that is our history is also determining our present and our future because we are the chosen people of God in Christ Jesus.